Amen. The past couple of weeks, we have been looking at this new series, Found Faithful, and we've looked at several attributes of what it means to be faithful and, and how we can become more faithful. We've talked about how our faith is developed and nurtured. We've talked about how faith allows us to see things that maybe we couldn't see before, how acting on faith, when we step out on faith, it affects uh, everything about us, our future, our destiny. Uh, it can change our circumstances. It can change uh, everything about our families, everything about our community. It can change situations. Faith allows us to move into a realm where God is operating. And as we move into that realm, we see God's hand and we walk boldly behind him. And as we've studied this looking at faith, we realize that faith is what sustains us. It's what motivates us. It leads us to follow him. It leads us to pursue him. But what do you do when your faith starts to falter? What do you do when you understand all that you have in faith? You understand all that you can embrace by walking with God. But what about those seasons of our life, those times that all of us go through when our faith seems just to get dry? God seems distant. Our prayers don't seem to work. Our emotions aren't there anymore. We don't feel like we felt before. Uh, maybe there's a struggle going on and, and we're not hearing from God we don't know what to say. Our faith begins to falter. Our, our spiritual life grows dry. Life seems to be throwing more at us than we have answers for. And we begin to get discouraged. We find ourselves turning inward. We find ourselves burned out. We find ourselves wanting to give up. Maybe even falling into a place of depression. Faith faltering. I think all of us at one time or another have been there or will be there. Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe that describes overwhelmed, discouraged. It's not a new issue. The Bible's full of stories of people who struggled with uh, discouragement, struggled with despair. If you've ever read through the book of Psalms, you'll find that David spent several seasons of his life in great, uh, really, discouragement and depression. To a point, David was so depressed that he didn't even know if he wanted to go on following God. And while it's something in the church that we don't like to talk about and we don't like to admit, most of us go through seasons where we find ourselves discouraged, where we find ourselves distant from God, where we find ourselves not in the place that we want to be. And as we look this morning at how our faith falters, I want to look at probably the most famous example from the Bible, an example that uh, comes out of nowhere of someone who goes from a great victory to a time of discouragement to a time of depression. And that's the story of Elijah that we find in 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, when you think of Elijah, the prophet, you don't think of someone that was a candidate for depression. You don't think of Elijah as someone as a candidate whose faith would falter. Elijah as someone who would struggle with wanting to get up in the mornings as some of us have felt. What we know about Elijah is he was called to be a prophet in the nation of Israel during probably the most difficult, worst time for that nation. The king of Israel at the time was a king named Ahab. And the Bible describes him in 1 Kings as the most corrupt, uh, most ungodly, disastrous kingdom 
in all of Israel's history. And he is married to a woman named Jezebel who is even worse than Ahab. And God calls Elijah to come back to the nation of Israel and call them to repent. They have turned to idol worship. They have uh, turned their backs on God. And Elijah, the strong prophet of God, is called to step out. And we know that God said that he withheld the rain in the nation of Israel because of their sin. And Elijah goes and he confronts the king. He says, Ahab, the reason you're not having rain, the reason you're in drought, and boldly, he said, it's because of your sin and the sin of this nation. We know that Elijah stepped out on faith. He lived in the desert during the drought. And the Bible says ravens brought him food. And God revealed to him hidden brooks to drink from. He depended totally on God. What a man of faith. We know that he went to live with a widow. And as he lived with this widow, God provided the widow and he food and, and sustenance. And the widow's son passed away, died accidentally. And God, through Elijah's crying out, raised the son of the widow from the dead, Elijah, this great prophet. And then probably the story we all know. In 1 Kings chapter 18, it's the, the battle of all battles. It's the battle of the gods. It's the, really the, the first rumble in the jungle. It's the uh, thrill on the hill. It's the battle to see who's in charge. It is the battle on Mount Carmel. You see, Elijah finally says to Ahab, it's time for a showdown. We're going to see whose God is really in charge. And they call the whole nation of Israel up to Mount Carmel. And as they call the nation, seven, 8,000 people gather around. And he says, bring all the prophets of Baal that, that Ahab worships. And bring all the prophets of Astra that Jezebel worships. And have them come up and meet me. I'll stand alone against all of them. And so 850 prophets gather there on Mount Carmel. They said, let's make a deal. We each will build an altar to our God. And then we will pray and ask our God to send fire down on our altar. And Elijah said, I'll even let you guys go first. And there in chapter 18, it tells the story of how the 850 prophets built this huge altar to their gods. And then they began to cry out for their God to send fire to their altar. And hours began to go by. And you can read in the story, Elijah, such a man of faith, so bold. He's over there making fun of them. He, he begins to say, maybe you need to sing louder. Maybe if you shouted, maybe you're not dancing right. And, you know, you can see him. He's over there going, you know, just move your hands a little more. Move your hips some. Maybe God wants you to get some hip action into it before he sends the fire. And, and, and so he's making fun of them. And they're getting discouraged. And Ahab's getting mad. And finally they give up with no fire. And Elijah just quietly walks over and gets his little altar made of rock and made of wood, and he lays his sacrifice on it. And then he has the people standing around there to come and dig a trench around it. And he says, pour water all over this altar. And they douse it with water, so much so that it's pouring out of the ditch. He says, do it another time. So I'll tell you, well, let's do it three times. And then Elijah, this bold man of faith, gets on his knees and just quietly says this, God... Show these people who is God. And the Bible says fire fell from heaven and consumed everything. Consumed the altar, consumed the stones, consumed the wood. There was nothing there. Water gone. And it said in an instant, the nation of Israel fell on their face and said, Behold, Jehovah is the one true God. And Elijah stood up and said, get those prophets and put them to death. And they rose up and they killed all 850 prophets. 
And the nation repented, and Elijah was on a high. Ahab said, I don't understand. And Elijah said, you know that rain you've been praying for? Because God showed up, because the people repented. Look over in the hills. There's a dark cloud coming. You can smell the rain. What a high point. What a spiritual great victory. Uh, Ahab, he's so upset, he doesn't know what to do. He gets in his chariot. He goes to ride home to tell Jezebel. Uh, well, Elijah is so geeked up. You can read the last part of chapter 18. It says he, he wound his robes up around him and he pulled a forest gump. He took off running after him. And it said he ran 20 miles and he ran so fast he beat the chariots. He was, he was on a high. He was spiritually excited. I mean, you talk about a mountaintop experience. And so how did, he, how did he recover from this mountaintop experience? What did he do after all of this great things was happening? How did he respond? Because you see, when Ahab got back, he told Jezebel, and Jezebel said, I'm not going to tolerate that. We need to have him put to death. And she sent a messenger to go tell him. Now, first of all, if you want to kill somebody, you don't send a messenger to go tell him, hey, I think we're going to kill you. But, uh, so I don't think Jezebel was really serious. She's probably a little more scared. It's a little more all talk. Uh, he just called fire down from heaven. I doubt she's really wanting to go confront him. But she sends a messenger. So the messenger finds uh, Elijah. He's, you know, he's telling people the story. He's excited. This messenger says, listen, Jezebel wants to kill you. And so what did this incredible prophet of God do when he heard the message? Well, let's read. Listen, you've got it there in your passage. Chapter 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. This man that just stood down 850 prophets, that stood down the whole nation, that faced a king upon being a threat of death, it says he was afraid and ran for his life. And he, when he came to Beersheba, he left his servant. He went out alone, got rid of the only people that supported him. And while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he must die. For I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. So what did this great prophet of God do, this great man of faith? He left everything behind. He snuck out into the desert. He found a tree, and he ready to give up. You see, somewhere between the mountain and the tree, Elijah's faith faltered. He got burned out. He got discouraged. Because you see, for every mountaintop, there's a valley. For every great victory in our life, there's always a low. But the good news for you and I this morning is Elijah is just like you and I. He wasn't supernatural. He didn't have any special powers. He was a human being with the same struggles that you and I have. And I believe as we look at Elijah's story to see how he went from this mountaintop to sitting under a tree depressed, we can find some answers for us. Because whether or not you're in that season or you've been in that season, you will face discouragement. You will face depression. And when we face it, how we deal with it determines where we go with our faith. And I think as we look at some of these lessons and how he got there, maybe God will use it to speak to some of you that are, that are struggling this morning, burned out, discouraged. Now, let me just say this. I do believe there is a clinical depression that is caused by chemical imbalances in the body. I, I believe that there are chemical imbalances that can lead you to be depressed that need to be treated medically. 
But I also believe that there are a lot of people in this country and in the churches of this country that struggle with depression that's caused by outside circumstances and outside situations that they allow to influence them. And instead of getting help, which is to go to the Word of God and see how God wants to do it, they get medicated. And I'm telling you, there is a time for medication and depression. But a lot of people get medicated as a Band-Aid instead of dealing with what really is the problem. Because when they come off their medication, they still deal with the same problems. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go see a doctor if you struggle with depression, because it might be chemical. But for many of us that struggle with times of discouragement and times of burnout. It's simply because our faith faltered. So what happened to Elijah? Well, first of all, I want you to see how he got there. It's easy to listen to his voice and hear how he went from this mountain to this valley. So I want to give you a couple of traps that it's easy to fall into. The first one we've already read, uh, what, what happened to Elijah? The first thing he did is he diminished his worth. He began to listen to the voices in his head that told him, you're not good enough, and you're not smart enough, and you're not fast enough. We all have those voices. Tell you you're not uh, good enough to compete. You're not pretty enough. You're not uh, rich enough. You don't have this talent. You can't do this. You can't do that. And what happens is we allow those voices to speak so loud that they begin to drown out who God says we are. And as we listen to those voices, we begin to get discouraged. We begin to head down a pathway that leads to destruction. Did you hear what he said in verse 4? He's sitting under the tree. He says, take my life for I am no better than my ancestors. Do you hear what he said there? I am no better than my ancestors. Rick Warren calls this the sin of comparing. One of the greatest traps that lead to depression is when we begin to compare ourselves to other people. You see, here's Elijah, and he's, instead of thinking about the great victory he just saw God, he's comparing himself to his ancestors. He's thinking, I... I, I didn't do anything. I I can't compete with my ancestors. I'm no better than those that gave up. I'm no better than my dad and my dad's dad who, who just walked away and didn't make a stand. He begins to compare ourselves. And that's a huge trap for you and I. When you start comparing yourself to somebody else, you are headed towards discouragement and it will always lead to depression you see we compare our lives with the accomplishment of others we look at our lives and we say you know i haven't done anything look at this guy he's my age look at all that he's done look at this girl look at this family look what they've done they they've accomplished so much and look how little that we've accomplished and you begin to compare yourself and you begin to beat yourself up we compare our our difficulties and trials with other people's easy lifestyles right you've probably never done that God, why are we going through this? These people, they never seem to have any problems, right? They, they never face any difficulties. We always have the problems. We always have the difficulties. See, the problem is they just disguise their difficulties better than you. We talked about this when I talked about Facebook depression. You know, the, it's moving around that people are getting depressed by reading Facebook statuses because they're seeing what people are putting on Facebook and thinking that that's real, and they're comparing their life to other people's Facebook statuses. Listen, those people are lying. They're only telling you part of the truth. Nobody goes on Facebook and says, today was the worst day of my life, and if they do, they shouldn't, okay? What people put on there is, look at my great Valentine, Right? You want to talk about making you feel like a heel? Go look at what everybody else gave their spouse for Valentine's. 
And we compare. And as we start comparing, we start thinking, I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good wife. Look what they did. You see, what happens is that leads to guilt that you heap on yourself. And the more guilt you heap on yourself, the worse you get in your faith away from God. And probably the worst comparison, and it happens to all of us, is when we compare our expectation of what life was going to be like and what life really is. See, it's what leads to most people between the ages of 35 and 45 going through a midlife crisis. Because you get 40, 42, 43, and you look at your life and you say, this wasn't what I dreamed when I was 20. See, when I was 20, I had all these dreams, and this is what I thought life would be like. And we look at our life and we say, it's not what it should be or what we wanted it to be. And because of that, we begin to find ourselves in a discouragement. Listen, you can't compare yourself today to what you thought it was going to be because you had unreal expectations when you were 19 and when you were 20. Life is not our expected dreams of a 20-year-old. Life gets in the way, and it gets tough, and difficulties come. But when we find ourselves comparing ourselves to expectations or to other people, it it puts us on dangerous ground because we become critical of ourselves. If you only would have done this, maybe if I should have done this or I could have done this or if I would have done this, then we wouldn't be here and we become our own worst critic and we heap guilt on ourselves and it leads to depression. Let me tell you, some of you, the first step that you've walked away just like Elijah and fallen into discouragement and fallen into depression is because you have become comparative to others around you. You've diminished how worthy you are to God and how much you mean to God compared to what you think everyone else's worth is. And it's a dangerous trap. That's where Elijah was beginning to go down that slippery slope. He was was diminishing his worth. The second thing he did, listen to verse 10. Verse 9 says, he went into a cave. God called him into a cave. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, what are you doing here? And Elijah replied this, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. they put your prophets to death with a sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Do you hear what he said? He just came off this great victory. God finds him in the cave. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? He says, God, you don't know how bad it is. No one is listening. No one is, he he is not even thinking about what just happened. You see, not only do we diminish our worth, we discount what we've done. We discount our work. You see, instead of taking pride and joy in all that we do, we spend a whole lot of time on things we didn't do. Or even worse, we spend a whole lot of time feeling bad about things that we had no control over. You see, if the first dangerous pitfall is comparison, the second dangerous pitfall is control. See, Elijah is feeling guilty for things he couldn't control. He couldn't control what the people did. And you can't control what people do. But yet we want everything to be perfect. We want everything to work out. We want, we want to be in control. You know, if it's going to get done, I've got to be the one that does it. And so when all of those things that we try to control and manipulate don't work out, depression and guilt overwhelm us. I see it all the time in parents that see their teenagers wander away from God or make bad decisions, and parents feel guilty. You're not responsible for your kids' choices. You can't control their decisions. You can't control people's responses to you. You see, we want everything to fit this little box, and and it's our issue of control. We're not in control. 
And you see, when that becomes a reality to us, all of a sudden we get discouraged and we realize that we can't control everything. We get depressed. And that's what was going on with Elijah. Instead of celebrating his victory, he was worried about the things he couldn't control. He was taking blame for it and he was allowing guilt to eat him up. So many believers I see say that they're willing to let God take control, but instead they try to keep everything in their own control. And when things spiral out, they beat themselves up. Listen, that's a burden you were never meant to carry. That's a burden that's not yours. Stop beating yourself up for things that are beyond your control. You can control one thing, you. You can control how you act, how you obey, and how you respond. You're not responsible for how everyone else responds to you. But we allow that lack of control to beat us up. Then the third thing he did, he said it in the same thing, passage here in verse 10. What did he say? He said, God, they turned their back at the end. He said, I'm the only one left, and now they're all going to kill me too. You see, the third danger, the third trap is we exaggerate our problems. See, not only do we compare, not only do we try to control everything and those things fall apart, we like to exaggerate how bad it is. What did Elijah say to God? God, you don't understand. It's like a pity party. I'm the only one. I'm the only one left, God, and everybody is against me. And, you know, and they're all trying to kill me. They weren't all trying to kill him. Jezebel wanted to kill him. Now, I understand as a man, when there's a woman after you, it may seem like the whole world, but, but there was just one person. You know, He's like, they're all trying to get me. Because you see what happens is we have a tendency to focus on all of the things in our life that are going wrong instead of the things that are going right. Instead of focusing on the 7,000 people that bow down, we want to focus on the negative. Because see, it's easy to focus on the negative. You can always find the negative. When you begin to do that, you're headed down a dangerous path. Elijah just saw this incredible miracle, saw this incredible thing happen, and all he could focus on was the people that didn't repent. And the bad things. Everybody's against me. It's all falling apart. We like to speak in hyperbole, don't we? It's the end of the world. Everybody, all of it. It's a disaster. And it wouldn't be, it would be funny if we didn't internalize it. Poor me. God, you don't understand what I'm up against. And what happens when we do that is when all we see is the bad things, and trust me, there are bad things in our lives. There are difficult things in our lives. But when we only focus on that, we fail to see all the blessings, and our view becomes distorted. You know why Elijah's view was distorted? Because he was exhausted. He was drained. He was emotionally exhausted. He was spiritually exhausted. He was physically exhausted. Listen, he'd just gone through this huge mountaintop. Then he ran 20 miles. He is exhausted, and the most dangerous time for any person is when you are exhausted, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, or physically. Because you see, your emotions take over when you're exhausted. And when you're tired and your emotions begin to take over, your emotions will lie to you. You can't always trust your feelings. I know we live in a generation now that says, get in touch with your feelings. And I'm all for you understanding your feelings. But your feelings will lie to you because, you see, when you're tired, your feelings will distort reality. Think about it. How many times has a huge problem seemed much smaller after a good night's sleep? How many times has the end of the world seemed so much better when you had some rest and were able to rejuvenate? 
So he was drained, he was tired, and he allowed his emotions to drive him. We need to make sure that we're not grounded on our emotions, but we're grounded in truth. Because emotions distort reality. And we always make bad choices when we're tired. Always. We always respond the wrong way, whether it's emotionally, physically, or spiritually. You see, what he did was exaggerate his problems. He was worried about comparing himself to others. He had control issues. And then the last thing, which is probably the scariest, it's the bottom pitfall. He gave up. In verse 4, it said, I've had enough, Lord. I'm ready to die. See, he got to that point where he stopped caring. Doesn't necessarily mean he wanted to check out. He just didn't care anymore. Didn't have any more vision about his future. Didn't have any more dreams is what Chuck Swindoll says. I read a quote this week that opened my eyes. It said, when you're more excited about your memories than you are about your dreams, you're in trouble. I want you to think about that. When you're more excited, you get more excited about thinking about something that happened in the past instead of something that's going to happen in the future, you're in trouble. And you see, that's where Elijah was. He saw no way out. He was ready to give up. And let me tell you, some of you may be there this morning. Now, I'm not saying you're sitting under a tree saying, God, come kill me. But certain situations and circumstances, you've thrown your hands up and said, I'm done. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your obedience to God. God, I'm done. I give up. I can't go on anymore. Some of you, this story of Elijah hits close to home. You've been comparing yourself and you, you, you've got control issues. And when things spin out of control, it leads you to depression. And you're always looking at the negative. So what do you do? What do you do when your faith has faltered to the point that you want to quit? Where you don't have anywhere to turn. You don't have any answers. Well, God gives us a plan. Because God didn't leave Elijah in that place. He pulled him out. So what did he do? Very easy. Let me read to you the very first part. It's in your passage. Elijah sat down to die. said, I want to die. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He laid down under the tree and he fell asleep. And it said in verse 5, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Look around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals, and a jar of water he ate and he drank, and he laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. What was his first solution to his depression, to his discouragement, to his faith faltering? He didn't preach at him. He didn't browbeat him. He didn't hammer him over the head. He said, Sleep and eat. You see, the first step to helping you get better is to take care of your body. Get some rest. See, we don't, we don't sleep enough. We don't rest enough. We go and we go and we go and we go. And all of these things, as we're going and we get tired, or begin to pile up on us. Sometimes the greatest spiritual decision you can make is to go to bed. Get some sleep. Let your body catch up with your emotions. When we don't get enough rest, when we're not eating right, we can't handle a whole lot of things. When we're tired, it affects our mood, it affects our outlook, it affects our emotion, it affects everything. Life and problems always look different after we rest and after we get a good meal. You want to know what God wants you to do this morning? God wants you to take care of your body. 
Some of us, the reason we struggle with discouragement, the reason we struggle with depression, the reason we struggle with burnout is because you're not getting enough rest and you're not eating right. God said, take a nap. And he let him sleep as long as he wanted. He tapped him on the shoulder, said, now eat, now go back to bed. Get some sleep. And the second thing he says to him, he's laying there. We read it a second ago. God goes into a cave where Elijah is. He's hiding in the cave. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord. And the Israelites have rejected your covenant and broken down your altars and put your prophets to death. I'm the only one left. How did he get to the cave? He got to the cave because God directed him to rest and go chase hard after him. And then what did God say to Elijah when Elijah began to vent? When Elijah began to have that pity party that he was having, what did God say? Can you read it? He didn't say anything. He let Elijah talk. Because you see, the, the second step in getting Elijah well was to let him speak his heart. I want you to listen to me. Some of you, the reason you're still allowing depression and discouragement is because you're not sharing your feelings. You're not sharing what's going on in your life. He didn't say, go out there and share it to a buddy. Who did he say share it to? God. You see, the second step is to share your feelings with God. Vent to God. Tell him how you feel. Elijah is going on about all these problems and all these difficulties. Why? Because you can't get healed until you admit you have problems. Until you talk about it, until you address it, you're never going to get over it. I heard it said before that when we swallow our problems, our stomach keeps score. And that's the truth for many of us. You see, if you can't speak about a certain subject, you're not in control of it. What he's saying is, God's saying, tell me about it. God wants us to vent. God wants us to tell him how we're feeling. Why? Because it's part of the relationship. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. To have a relationship, for God to bring you comfort, for God to bring you peace, you've got to share what's on your heart. God already knows. He's not surprised. He's not saying, I can't believe Elijah. Look, listen to what he's saying. God's saying, share, share. And then he does it later on. He goes back to Elijah again and says, Elijah, how are you? He starts venting again. God said, okay, I'm going to listen. As long as you've got to share, I'm going to listen. I mentioned the Psalms earlier. The thing I love about the Psalms, you read through them, there's some Psalms in there that don't make any sense if you ever studied them. Because David had issues. You ever read some of the Psalms of David? I mean, they are mean and vindictive. David starts out some of those psalms. God, wipe out my enemies, kill their children, wipe out their dogs, burn their homes, chase them down. I mean, it is mean, vindictive stuff. And then he'll say stuff like, I feel like I want to quit, and I hate my life, and I hate my family, and I hate everything. And he has these whole things. You say, God, why did you leave that in the psalms? Why are there so many psalms that sound like this? Because God wanted us to see that David was real, just like us. And that is David venting his heart to God. And the incredible thing about it is, if you read those Psalms, and you can find one. You just have to turn through a couple of them. You start reading it, and David starts out with all this anger and all this pain and all this depression and all this discouragement. And by the time he gets to the end of the Psalm, almost every one of them, he's saying, But God, you are God, and I will trust you. Because you see, it's in the sharing that God is working in his heart. And as he's venting and as he's telling God his feelings, God is healing. Why do you think Jesus said, cast all your cares on me and I will care for them? 
All you, you who are weary and heavy laden, bring me your burdens. You see, God wants to hear what's on your heart. And part of your healing is to be able to get alone with God and share your heart, share your frustrations, share your anger, share your questions. Because it's in those moments that he begins to bring healing to your heart. Cast your cares on him. He says you need to rest your body, you need to vent your heart. And then the third thing, as the Bible says in, in verse 9, after he woke up, he said, I want you to go back to Mount Horeb, which is the place of your ancestors, the mountain of God. That's where we find him in a cave. See, the third thing you need to do to get past this discouragement, past this faltering faith, past this depression, is to refocus on God. Stop spending all your time focusing on your problems and look to God. You see, as he's standing in that cave, the Bible said God came by. Why do you think God wanted to appear to Elijah with this might and this power? Because he wanted to remind Elijah that God is God and Elijah is Elijah. Because here, let me, let me give you the, the secret key to it all you know the reason we struggle with depression you know the reason we struggle with burnout you know the reason our faith falters it was because we fail at trying to play god because see we want to be in control we want everything we want to have our say and when you try to play god you're always going to fail and you'll always be disappointed and so elijah tried to play god and god wanted to remind him that Elijah, you're not God. I am. Refocus on God. Now, let me give you a practical thing. How do you do that when you're struggling? I know I've had people tell me, uh, if you're just struggling, you just need to love Jesus. You know, that, that's too simplistic. If you just love Jesus more, if you just, if you, just you know, uh, come to church more, that is too simplistic. How do you do it when your prayers don't reach the ceiling and worship is dry and you don't even want to be here? How, how do you reconnect with God? Let me give you a couple of practical things. First of all, start praying, even when you can't feel it. If you don't have words, the greatest thing to do is to start praying God's word to him. Get the Psalms and start reading them to him. Because you know what that'll do? That'll declare God's glory and put his truth in your heart while you're declaring it. Start reading God's word to him. The second thing practically you can do is don't stop worshiping. And I'm not just talking about coming in here and singing. I'm talking about everywhere you are. You say, well, I don't feel like singing. Worship has nothing to do with how you feel. Drives me crazy. People walk out and say, I just didn't feel it today. Well, it wasn't for you. Has nothing to do with your feeling. You see, I worship not because it gives me goosebumps, not because it makes me cry, not because it makes me feel anything. I worship because God is worthy of it. And it is what I'm supposed to do. It's what I was created to do. And even when I don't feel it, when I begin to declare his greatness, when I begin to worship him, all of a sudden that word speaks into my heart. It penetrates in. It sneaks in. Even when I don't feel it. Don't stop worshiping. Read his word back to him. The third thing you can do is don't leave the community. You see, when we get depressed, when we get discouraged, when we go through difficult times, the first thing we want to do is to walk away and be alone. Elijah sent his friends home and said, I'm going into the desert. That's the most dangerous place for you. Because you see, you are a part of the body of Christ. And in being a part of the body of Christ, there is a power connection. And you need to be with the body because there are people in this body that have walked the road you're on or that will walk the road you're on and they can comfort and strengthen and lift you up. 
Connect with the body. And the fourth practical thing, open your eyes to look for God's work in ways you didn't expect it. Because you see, people tell me, well, I'm really struggling with you know, depression, discouragement. I just don't see God anymore. Well, God doesn't stop working. The Bible tells us God's working all the way around. You just stop seeing it. So what you can do is ask God to open your eyes to see it in ways that you never expected it before. The Bible said Elijah, God told him, come to the side of the mountain because God's going to come and speak to you. And so Elijah went out and stood on the mountain and it said a, a, a fire came. And Elijah said, is that God? But God went in the fire. And then it said an earthquake came and, God's, and Elijah said, that must be God because God speaks through earthquakes. But God went in the earthquake. And then a mighty wind came by and Elijah said, that must be God because God spoke in wind and he spoke in earthquakes and he spoke in fire, but it said that wasn't God. And as Elijah sat back, it said a gentle whisper came and that was God speaking to his heart. See, Elijah was able to see God move in ways that he'd never expected. Open your eyes. Refocus on God. Your source of healing is God. Take care of your body. Take care of your emotions. Share what God is doing and take care of your spirit. And then the last thing he did, what's the last thing God did after he prayed over him, after he let him vent, after he spoke to him? He said, now I got a job for you in verse 19. He said, I need you to go back to town and find another prophet. So you want to get well, the last thing you need to do is to focus on serving somebody else. Rest, vent, Worship, serve. Because you see what happens when you begin to focus on the needs of others, when you begin to minister to other people, your needs don't seem all that big. Your situations don't seem all that bad. Because God is teaching you that there are others out there struggling. Jesus said, you want to find your life? Give it away. And when you begin to serve, you begin to go give. That could be in the nursery. It could be in one of our ministries. It could be up here worshiping. It could be doing a number of things out in the community or on missions. As you begin to give of yourself, as you begin to give of your time, guess what happens? God is healing you. Listen to me. I, I know there's some here this morning that struggle like Elijah. I know there's some of you that feel just like it. You, you've had days where you didn't want to get out of bed. The best thing you wanted to do is just pull the covers up and pretend the world would go away. Some of you are emotionally and physically and spiritually exhausted. Some of you feel like you're never going to get out from under this pile that's on top of you. There may be some that just want to give up. I want to tell you this morning there's hope. God cares, and he's not done with you. Jesus cares. I care. There's people all around you this morning that care. And God gives us a plan. And it starts by trusting him. Will you trust him this morning? Are you happy where you are? Or do you want to find healing? All of us come to a place where our faith falters. The question is, what do we do when we find ourselves there? God looked at Elijah twice, and I love it in verse 10. He says the first time, Elijah's standing on the edge of that cave, and God said, Elijah, what are you doing there? Basically, he's saying, Elijah, how'd you get here? 
Last time I saw you, there was fire falling. How'd you get there? God said, let me help you back. This morning, he offers you the same hope. Let's pray.